Welcome to Radio Beacon, the weekly podcast of Beacon Communications. I'm Dan Kittredge, editor of the Cranston Herald, joined as always by Jake Morocco, editor of the Johnston Sunrise. Good afternoon, Jake. Good afternoon, Dan. I'm doing well. I'm uh, doing well. How are you doing? Not too bad. Not too bad. It's Friday, uh, as usual, shortly before 1 p.m. Uh, it's been, uh, it's, the weather is nice. It's warm. It's summer-like outside. So uh, after some some crazy rain and crazy weather this week, so we hope everyone out there is uh, getting a chance to enjoy the the season and enjoy some time outside. And uh, um, you know we we're uh, here in month. Uh, geez, what is this? April, March, April, May, June. We're in month four mm-hmm. of this uh, COVID nineteen situation. Um, thankfully, the picture continues to brighten here locally. Um, at least in terms of the numbers, uh, I know Jake. I haven't gotten a chance to see him today, but you you had mentioned that uh, I think the, there were like a hundred new cases out of around three thousand tests. So another good day in terms of positive rate. Yes, the data that was posted today. I, yeah, that was that was my other tab. I have a couple tabs open with this data, so I have old data available. The newest data that was posted today. It's uh, loading right now. It was for his portal takes forever sometimes. Oh, it's fine. Okay, here we go. So the new data for today, there were 84 new positive cases out of 3,639 tests. Uh, When I did the math on that, that was a 2.3% positive rate, which in my memory is maybe the best or one of the best that Rhode Island's had throughout the crisis, or at least in the recent months of the crisis hospitalizations yeah. is at 141 there were 10 new fatalities so it's up to 833 our condolences to all those families 28 people in the icu 17 on ventilator and uh, 1435 discharges at this point oh wow yeah that was even better i must have uh, i think i looked at yesterday's numbers without realizing so that's really good um i mean it's still uh we're seeing headlines elsewhere across the country about uh you know increases in cases and the crisis kind of escalating in some places where it hadn't been. And I know uh, internationally there have been some signs of resurgences in some places. I think South Korea I had seen was dealing with a kind of spat of new cases. And uh, um, so the governor and others continue to say we're not out of the woods, and I think that's certainly true. Uh, But for now, at least, it it appears that uh, in Rhode Island we're in a good place. And uh, the major... The headline surrounding the crisis this week has to be the uh, governor's announcement Wednesday that the state is eyeing an August 31st return to in-person classrooms, uh, reopening school buildings for classes. They've, of course, been closed since March when they were abruptly shut down and everyone moved to distance learning as as things escalated. So um, that's really, that was a, a big announcement and an uh, they're, according to what she was saying and Commissioner Infante Green was saying, uh, they're going to be planning for a wide range of contingencies and, um, you know, everything from continuing distance learning in its current form to really fully resuming things as normal and trying to create some sort of system where it's more fluid and adaptable. Um, that, of course, requires a lot of transition and a lot of investment and, uh, it's it's uh, everything is just so kind of fluid right now that it's it's going to take some time for that picture to clear to come more clear. But um, that was really notable this week. 
Um, and I'll tease now, I guess early our, our guest this week uh, on the program is Cranston Superintendent Janine Nota-Massey. Uh, I met with her this morning and we had a great conversation about, uh, about this, the state's announcement this week and a host of other issues from how distance learning has been going so far um, during this year and uh, to, to the budget uncertainty that's facing Cranston and other districts. So stay tuned for that. We thought she'd be a very timely guest this week, uh, and she was very generous with her time. Um, so we'll head to that shortly. Elsewhere on the, on the news front this week, um, I will plug uh, Cranston continues to heat up politically. We had uh, former Ward 4 City Councilwoman Maria Bucci uh, on Monday made a, a uh, long-anticipated uh, entry into the mayoral race. Uh, she's a Democrat, and that sets up a primary contest with citywide councilman Steve Stikos, who announced a couple months back. Um, so that'll be really interesting. Now we have primary contests officially on both the Democratic side and the Republican side in Cranston. Of course, Council President Mike Farina and citywide councilman Ken Hopkins vying for the Republican uh, nominations. So um, the primary is uh, currently scheduled for, I believe it was September 8th. Uh, it's the day after Labor Day. I know there's been a push to get that uh, changed because of the logistical issues. So, But regardless, this, this uh, election is really not very far away. It's about you know two plus months from now. So uh, we have the candidacy declaration period, of course, arriving uh, from June 22nd to 24th, I believe it is this year. And that's the period during which uh, people that are, want to run for local offices and uh, general assembly seats need to declare their candidacy. And then um, later they'll pick up uh, or they'll get their nomination papers and go get the signatures they need to secure their ballot placement. But it's going to heat up quickly here very soon. It's uh, just a little more than a week now until that candidacy period opens. So we'll get a, an even clearer picture. Um, we've had a number of, in Cranston, a number of folks announced for uh, city council seats and school committee races. Um, Jake, any uh, political developments? And I know actually before we go to that, I will I will plug uh, in Warwick, uh, uh, Mr. Bacosi, uh And forgive me, I'm forgetting his first name. Frank Bacosi. Frank Bacosi. Frank Bacosi. Yeah. See, this is I'm so in my own silo. I, I even read the story and I forgot. Um, declared for mayor as an independent. He's well known for his. Uh, his mobile light display that he's been uh, going around kind of spreading some goodwill and trying to build up uh, positivity and community on Facebook and social media and things like that. So he's set to run for mayor of Warwick, which was a pretty big development. Uh, what are you seeing uh, in Johnston, Jake? So uh, probably the biggest political news in Johnston this week. There's two, one directly political and one uh, kind of adjacent. Uh, Chief Tambarini announced he will be retiring in August after well over five decades of service in police work. He's been in Johnston as police chief for 25 years. Yeah. So we'll have a lot more coverage coming of that down the line. But uh, congratulations to Chief Tambarini. It's great. You know, he's, he's been serving the town for a while, and uh, congrats to him. Secondly, uh, Dylan Conley, the assistant town solicitor in Johnson, announced this week, I believe it was first reported by the Boston Globe, Ian Donis expounded upon it, and uh, we did, and I think Projo did, a lot of people did stories about it, but um, our story, kind of, we, we uh, I talked to Dylan, did kind of a deeper dive on it, and we chatted about a lot of things, uh, his inspiration, kind of the uphill battle that incumbents face, especially, it seems like, here, 
Uh, Langevin has been in office for 20 years. He has really never faced a stiff challenge, primary or general election-wise. I think the closest anyone's ever come general election-wise I put in the story was like 23 points, which is not close. So yeah. it's definitely an uphill battle. Uh, but, you know, Dylan Connolly is very confident. He's, uh, he says, you know, I think he said, I, I can't stay on the sidelines anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a once-in-a-generation shift, he says. So he's uh, at he, it, it's, uh, it's his campaign going to start in earnest uh, this summer, and he, he's very confident. So I, I urge you to go uh, check out that story. That was a nice one to put together. He was very forthcoming about you know his inspirations and what he thinks the future will look like. So those are probably the, the two biggest uh, two biggest storylines in Johnson this week. Yeah, no, it was a really good story. Um, you got a lot of access. He gave you a good uh, it was a good conversation. It sounded like, and I know he's. He is the son of William Connolly, who is a state senator from East Providence, and they together are the legal counsel for the town of Johnston. That is correct. Uh, I've I've been at plenty of town meetings, and they usually split duties. It feels like I feel like I see Dylan there more often. I know obviously uh, his his father is is very busy as well, but Dylan also serves as the solicitor in East Providence, and he is also the chair of the board of licenses in Providence. So he is uh, he's around town. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that was that was very interesting to see. You're right. I mean, uh, Congressman Lanchman has been a uh, a real fixture, and it, uh, I wonder, you know, uh, then you get into the speculation as the census goes on, and the possibility of the state losing the state losing a congressional seat, um, which would obviously affect Congressman Lanchman and um, Cicilline. Uh I wonder if you know, it, it, it's an interesting. Uh, the game to sit and try to game out what some of the considerations are, some of these, uh, some of the folks, some of the candidates as they uh, look to continue their careers or jump out of other offices and that kind of thing. So um, anyway, I'm trying to think of what else uh, this week uh, I'd highlight um, on the Herald side and on the Beacon side, we had a ton of graduation related coverage. The Beacon had full coverage um, with graduation stories and uh, big photo spreads, lists of the graduates, um, all that stuff. In Cranston, we're waiting for the virtual ceremonies to be released, I believe, at the end of next week. But in the meantime, uh, Cranston West, over the last uh, last weekend, staged this uh, pretty fun uh, motorcade, senior motorcade. It was kind of a rolling graduation rally. Um, our our uh, Stephanie Bernaba from our staff was there and got some great video and pictures and coverage that you can find at cranstononline.com right now. Uh, Cranston East will be doing a similar event this weekend. Uh, We'll have full coverage in the coming week's Herald, the June 18th edition. Um, And then stay tuned. We have special graduation sections on the way, online sections for all of our high schools um, that'll highlight uh, a range of of student achievement and uh, are kind of meant to be enhanced programs and kind of virtual keepsakes for, uh, for the students and their families this year. Cause I know it's been uh, a difficult and very unusual time for, for all of, uh, our high school senior communities. So keep your eyes out for that. Um, and with that, let's, uh, it's a good transition to my con, uh, conversation with Janine Notamassi, the superintendent of Cranston public schools. You'll hear that, and then Jake and I will return for a brief wrap-up. As an editor's note, our conversation begins with a question about distance learning and how it's gone so far this year. 
I think considering the amount of time we had to completely change how we do business, um, I think we did a, a good job with uh, being able to, again, change how we teach kids in a district of 11,000 students and 1,200 you know, staff members. Um, we have done over the past few years a lot of training with teachers on how to use Google Classroom and Google Apps for education and all those things. So many, many of our teachers had training and experience with the Google platform. So for some folks, it was not um, a monumental task to, to change what they do. For other people who were less um, comfortable with it, it, it was hard. And it was hard to make sure that kids were able to get on and, and do their work. And so there were, there were many layers to it of uh, challenges. Some folks aren't comfortable with technology and that's just the way it is. And especially in the elementary level, we saw how challenging it was because K, one, two, a lot of that is very personal and hands-on and difficult to communicate over you know your computer especially with the younger the younger kids um, but that being said there are also some challenges that we had at the upper levels with kids being engaged kids being able to get on computers if their families were sharing a computer um, we gave out between 15 and 1600 laptop uh, you know Chromebooks um, to families who needed them and then as we progressed through distance learning, sometimes you know a computer would break, we'd have to swap it out. Um, but that was, again, a huge lift to make sure all of a sudden every kid who needed a Chromebook had a Chromebook. So um, I'm really fortunate in this district that I have administrators and teachers who kind of roll up their sleeves and say, okay, we'll, we'll get it done, and they did. So um, overall, I think it went well. We've learned a lot of the things that we need to improve. If, if this continues, um, you know, everyone says, oh, you'll never have a snow day because you have distance learning. It, it's not just something you kind of tap into. Um, I think the Google platform is hugely helpful because, um, you know, the, the kids, the students are more adept at the at the technology um, but sometimes you know if you're in the middle of teaching something and then all of a sudden you have to go to the digital platform you know so that's going to be a, a change it's just um, you know it's like getting used to standing in line before you walk into Whole Foods or Dave's or Garden Hills Deli you know you you have to stop yourself and go oh wait I can't go in there's already too many people I have to wait outside so it's like just changing your way of thinking yeah. because of all of this it, it applies to everything so that's the distance learning part. I was curious, on that note, what have the challenges been specifically, or how has it gone, I guess, with kids with IEPs, special mm -hmm. needs kids? Yeah. Our special educators um, have done an incredible job making sure that they, the kids had support, they communicated regularly with parents. Um, they made a really concerted effort for the, ho the homeschool communication. Um, Again, depending on the level, like elementary versus middle and high, 
um, the abilities of students and families to get on computers and you know some families had parents who worked and you know kids were with um, grandparents or so that was hard you know and um, parents come home five six o'clock at night and they're trying to help kids so um, I know our special educators really really made an extra effort to make sure they were in communication um, I've heard good feedback about that that um, we've really tried hard to you know keep in touch and really address those issues as they were coming up and not just let them kind of fester but um, it's not perfect yeah. it certainly isn't and for students with disabilities it's that much more difficult um, students who are um, multilingual multi-language learners that's hard too yeah. because they're learning the language and the way of, you know, if they're new to the country or new to the school and now you're on a computer, it's, you know, all these different variables that you don't think of until all of a sudden you're told, yeah, you have a week, you know, get this up and running. Yeah. So we've learned a lot of um, what to do and what not to do yeah. for the next pandemic. Do you have yeah. any idea roughly how, how many of the kids in the district are multi-language? Um, we have... Um, I'd say just shy of 800. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. But they're in all different schools. Um, there are some students who are first year, um, first year learners up to kids who've been in the, dis the system for many years, but they're still um, monitored. So um, they might not receive like um, day to day, every day, um, all day services but they have supports during yeah. school day you know so it's a continuum of service mm -hmm. um, but yeah we have in many many different languages and countries and all yeah. that so but I think that's cool yeah you know no, adds to the diversity of uh, our district it's, it's a good thing yeah. so but it is it's it's challenging for kids of any level you know um, even the good students face some challenges because they like being in school and seeing teachers and doing things hands-on, you know, yeah. our career and tech programs, that's the basis and fundamental purpose of those programs, mm -hmm. and they had to do that over the computer, yeah. you know, so everybody faced challenges with all of this. Mm -hmm. How did the virtual graduations go? So the graduations overall, um, I think at first people were really disappointed and upset and um, angry mm -hmm. at times, you know, and I understand that. That's a huge life event for kids. Um, we all remember our high school graduations and you know how, how exciting it was. Yeah. Um, so for us to not be able to do what we normally do was disappointing and you know heartbreaking for a lot of people. And graduation is my favorite day. Mm -hmm. You know, I've been a high school primarily educator for my whole career. So I've been to 20-something graduations and uh, not being able to see the kids and their families you know it it, it hurt yeah. it hurt but um, but that all being said like we do here you know we got a bunch of lemons and we squeezed them until we got good lemonade out of it and um, we worked with kids and parents and um, class advisors and administrators and some folks from the community who had like the video uh, experience. And we said, okay, here are the parameters that the state gave us. 
and and the kids told us what they wanted like they're you know non-negotiables if you will like okay can we do xyz and we tried to meet somewhere in the middle of what what was possible and what the kids wanted and and all that so because the kids at least the seniors were i mean everybody on march 13th was basically told you know go home and we'll see you in a couple of weeks well that never happened and obviously we know why but so they were kind of unceremoniously dismissed on their last day of school on march 13th and it really meant a lot for them to be able to go back to their school and and kind of get some closure i think for graduation so normally we would have them at PPAC for East and West and the charter school would have theirs at Hope Highlands. We decided to keep them at all the individual schools and um, walk the stage and you know you know all the details of how we did it. Um, it took a lot of planning and precise plans to make sure folks got there at a certain time. They weren't bunched up. You know we weren't um, going to have hundreds of kids congregating at the same time and families so it took two days <laughs> um, the speeches were filmed previous uh, you know before the filming of the graduates okay. in the auditoriums so for example I went to the three locations filmed my speech the day before all the kids came in all alone in an empty auditorium and that was another I mean seemingly insignificant event but when you're standing there giving your graduation speech or bringing greetings or wishing them well to empty seats it's a really incredible incredibly heartbreaking experience you know I'm sitting there in my mind thinking of all the graduations I've been to and seeing the caps and gowns and the smiling faces and you know the balloons and all the stuff and you're just sitting there looking at an empty auditorium and it, it kind of gives you chills yeah. um, but we did it, and you, you just had to kind of picture yourself being in front of kids and really trying to connect with them and, you know, um, wishing them well. So that's how we did the speeches, and then um, we filmed each kid coming across the stage, grabbing their diploma, having their family there with them, and we um, timed everyone, and they had an appointment. They came, they, you know, um, did their walk across the stage, which was the important part. Yeah. We set up the stages just like we would at PPAC, yeah, I saw the pictures. They were great. Yeah, so honestly, if you didn't know, you know, you might not even know where they were yeah. um, if it wasn't PPAC, but we had flowers and all the flags and the podium, and um, so we tried really hard to make it as fancy and special and, you know, important to kids. And it's funny because some of the kids that I talked to after and um, heard from the administrators was that it was almost more personal. Yeah because you weren't just kind of you know um, working through 400 kids in an hour or two each kid each graduation so kid um, had the time with their family and it, w it wasn't a long time you know um, but they were there all together so yeah you know but they weren't with their friends and I think that was a big piece that we just couldn't accommodate yeah. you know that that was just a definite no-no so um, and then they went after they walked the stage grabbed their diploma took a picture on the stage they went to a separate area where photographers took formal pictures of them with their diploma so, and they had yard signs and they got you know we had a little de designer masks for all the schools 
stuff that I never thought we <laughs> we would have to uh, have for kids. But yeah. um, you know, again, we tried to to uh, make it as uh, fun and different as possible, but still follow all the the guidelines and yeah. you know keep everyone safe. That was our goal. So did the grads actually get their diplomas that day? They did. did yeah. At first, we were worried that. Um, because we couldn't have a lot of staff there, again, this is, um, it's a big undertaking when you have 400 students, and the diploma has to be correct. You know, one diploma out of order will wreck the whole yeah. suite of 400, you know, the whole box of 400 diplomas, and I've <laughs> been there. So that was a little, you know, that was my concern, but um, we got the diplomas. That was the other thing. Um, the companies we work with, Jostens and Herf Jones, they had shut down. So making sure we had the caps and gowns, because again, I mean, school was, we didn't have school, so ordering all that stuff, making sure the kids had all their things. Like two weeks before, they told us, oh, we might not have the stuff. And I was like, oh God. But everyone came through, the diplomas came through, the administrators worked till five, six o'clock for like two or three nights beforehand, just making sure everything was in the right place, everyone had what they needed and it all fell into place. But there were some nerve-wracking uh, phone calls <laughs> yeah, that um, we were worried about. But yes, the kids got their diplomas um, you know, in real time, which was, a, which was a good thing. I'm glad we were able to do that. That's great. Yeah. And I know they did the, the West kids last week and the East kids this weekend will get a chance to, to do more yeah. of a group. Yes. <laughs> yeah, a little more relaxed, a little yeah. more fun. Um, not as formal as you know the uh, graduations, but they can they can celebrate the way they want to um, with the parades and, and have some fun that way. So that's a good thing. It's, you know, that might be another tradition that, you know, some of this stuff might change the way we do business going forward in a good way. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe there are some things that we never did that we could do, um, like a parade or the yard signs or whatever. Um, you know, we didn't, never really thought about it, but this has forced us to think out of the box. Yeah. Well, that's a good pivot to the big news this week. Obviously, was the, the governor announcing the August 31st date, yes. target date for mm -hmm. the resumption of in-person classes. What's your view of that goal? Where is the district? I know they're asking for plans for a whole range of contingencies. Yeah. Um, so the statewide calendar, I think, is a great idea. Yeah. Um, that's very helpful because when you, in a small state like this, having some districts that start on certain days and others it, that's only the beginning then you have different vacations and you know families who might have people who work in one district and students in another you know you have different vacations it, it just was starting to become a little chaotic that um everyone was kind of all over the place so i think the statewide calendar is a good idea um i know the only thing that concerned me was making sure that districts had a, a little bit of flexibility like we um, observe certain religious holidays that other people don't so I just want to make sure that we're able to do that and I'm, I'm pretty sure we'll be able to um, take care of that situation but um, I so I think the statewide calendar is a really good thing um, the PD days built in again we normally have our professional development beyond the school day so that's something we're going to have to kind of figure out how we're going to do that um, we did it with the distance learning so again that's something we learned how to figure out and we'll do that going forward um opening 
in September or August 31st. I'm not going to lie. I'm concerned. Um, I'm excited to get kids back to school for sure because I know, like I said, the, the, especially for the younger kids, it's really important for them to be with their teachers. Um, the regulations that we're going to have to work with or the guidance from CDC, you know, it, it kind of depends on what noun you use, whether they're suggestions, guidance, regulations, um, you know, and that, that's important, yeah. <laughs> you know, what word they're using. So um, I'll be anxious to see what the document is from RIDE because, um, you know, for, for the past few weeks, superintendents have heard a variety of things, you know, from CDC, from the state, from RIDE. Um, so I think having it in writing will be hugely helpful so that we can focus on exactly what needs to happen. Um, I want, I would love to see all kids back and I know, you know, there's, there's two schools of thought. There are some parents who are very concerned about that and there are other parents who are anxious to have their kids back to school because it's, it's been a challenge having kids away from their friends and the opportunities that schools offer. Um, and folks need to get back to work. And I realize that that is a very big part of everyone being on their, their right schedule. You know, kids go to school, parents go to work, and at the end of the day, they all come back to where they started from. And um, so I, I understand both sides of it. It's just, it's concerning. We have to keep everyone safe. We have to make sure our buildings are used appropriately for all of this. Um, it's, it's more of what's realistic and feasible and what isn't, you know. Um, we can't have kindergartners socially distanced. That's just not, you know, uh, impossible. Yeah. It's, it's just impossible. Um, so how do we keep the students um, together but safe? And so that's, that's going to be the challenge. Um, but I'm, I'm excited to get kids back to school. This has been... Like I said, some some kids are fine with it and they're okay going on and doing their thing. And for other kids, it's been really detrimental. So I, I want to get everyone back. But I think also going forward that the success we've had with distance learning gives us an opportunity for students who have um, difficulties going to school. So if you consider that group of kids who, um, you know, maybe they were always late to school because they just couldn't get themselves going in the morning. Well, distance learning is asynchronous, right? You can do it at two o'clock in the afternoon if that's when you want to do it. And some of those students who just couldn't seem to get on the schedule met with success with virtual learning because yeah. they could do it at their own time. And you really got to see what they could and couldn't do and not just in the realm of that 7.30 to two or eight to two or eight to three. You know, so those kinds of things we're going to have to look at is, you know, do we have that option for kids going forward? It's not like kids that, you know, an assignment might not have been completed or they might have just had it and they're like, they're just finding, you're finding that they're doing work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, better. for a lot of kids who work, you know, we have kids who work till, yeah. you know, a certain time of night and then they go home and they're tired and they get up and t to start school at 730 might be a challenge for some of them or um, even for younger students if if they can't get to school if you know their parent works and their schedule is tough and they can't get there or um, they miss the bus and 
so the virtual piece I think gives them an opportunity to access their education beyond the four walls so again I, I try to look at things optimistically what can we take away from this that will benefit students so hopefully um, I don't know how that's gonna all fit in next year you know that's let's let's get them back to school but also in the back of my mind how can we utilize what we've learned from this and what's good for kids from this and make that an opportunity for us yeah. so that um, you know for a kid who has challenges social anxiety you know we have our high schools our two big high schools are 16 1700 kids that's a challenge for a lot of students to, to be able to navigate you know the walls uh, the, the halls of a, of a school with that many kids so maybe you know this can be used to help get them through the difficulties yeah. so we'll see and do you think this means the, the end of the snow day? You know, I don't know. Um, it would probably be great for my anxiety because uh, <laughs> when I hear of a snowstorm, I, you know, that's, it used to be the most stressful part of my job. Not it. I've learned that that's nothing now. Um, yeah, I, I learned about stress <laughs> these past few months, real stress. Um, I guess we can, you know, we would just have to have the plan ready. Again, it's it's all in the planning. You know, it's it's not making decisions on the fly. It's not um, suddenly waking up one day and, oh, okay, we're gonna do it. We had to do it that way because of the pandemic, but careful planning and, and making sure everyone's on the same page and we know what to expect when there is a snow day. Yeah, we can definitely use this as a tool to keep the instruction going and not miss and, and not have broken times. Um, but again, that's another aspect of it that we just have to make sure, okay, if we're going to have a snow day, how will it be still used as an education day? That's where it's really important to make sure kids have devices and um, access to internet. We weren't a one-to-one -one district. Um, you know, it's costly, let's face it. Even um, a, a small Chromebook runs us about 300 bucks when you multiply that by 11,000 kids that's you know that's a lot of money yeah. and um, we've been slowly making sure our schools are equipped with them but um, if we were to move to making sure every kid has access that would be a, a plan that would take a couple of years really to you know ensure that everyone had it and we had policies around them and you know methods of fixing them and we weren't really there yet yeah. um, we had enough to get kids who needed them um, but as far as the whole district having them, that's something we would, again, we have to plan for. And it's costly, and underlying all of this is the budget fallout. Yes, that's Yeah, so um, the budget fallout is, I'm gravely concerned about that. Yeah. We were in a really good place with our budget. Um, I've worked really hard with my team and the city and uh, um, teachers and everyone to make sure that our budget is fair. You know, it's not grossly inflated and it's not so lean that we can't do things for kids. We were in a really good place. I mean, the economy was good. Everything was moving along. We have our bond. Um, but this catastrophic effect on the budget is, is going to hurt us going forward. Um, as of today, um, about $5.3 million in the hole yeah. for the 2021 fiscal year. Um, so 
you know. That's the gap. That's the, the gap. gap in the, the city's ultimate increase. <clears throat> yeah. What was requested, and then the, the state aid right. that was removed. Right, right. So we were supposed to get $4.1 million from the state as an increase yeah. to our state aid based on the funding formula. Um, we have a pretty steady population of students. You know, we get little blips here and there, but we haven't lost kids. Mm -hmm. You know, if anything, we've increased a little bit, but we haven't lost kids. So our state aid had an increased. Um, I had requested $1.7 million as an, an increase from the city. We received um, about 470,000 of that. And then um, when we knew the state wasn't going to be budget ready, um, the city then took out our state aid number. So the 4.1 plus the shortfall from the city combined is about 5.3 million. And um, did council members consult with you about that beforehand, by the way? I knew that that was kind of on the table. Um, they had asked us some questions regarding the legalities of it and um, so if, say the city did leave it in the budget and they passed the budget as with that 4.1 number in it and then the state never gave them that 4.1, they would be responsible. So that, that's the um, case law has kind of proven that that becomes their responsibility. So the city would have had to um, honor that $4.1 million number because they approved the budget with that in. Yeah. So if the state didn't do what they had you know promised um so you know logically i understand why they did it but it's um it's it's a huge problem for me yeah. <laughs> it's a huge problem it's uh you know because you need to have a balance i have to have a balanced budget by june 30th okay. that's again you know um by charter of the city um you know and everyone you know, through all this, we've we've all tried both both sides of the the house here. You know, the city and the school side have tried to maintain our obligations with everything. Um, we we didn't have uh, massive layoffs. We, um, but that was in this you know this current year's budget. People worked as much as they could, even virtually. Most of our staff did something for the continuation of education for kids, which was good. Um, but next year, we really, um, I have ideas of how we're going to do it. Um, are there any creative <laughs> accounting things? Or, you know, uh, to, to yeah, auditors get, get a little nervous when you do creative yeah. accounting things. Um, <laughs> my, my CFO would, would start to um, look, <laughs> at, look at me askew if I said get creative with the accounting. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, no, I know what you mean. Um, we did go through the budget and try to make as many cuts as I could that I didn't think would hurt kids, you know, directly. Um, you know, take 10% off our utilities and, you know, things like that, that maybe we can have a little bit of wiggle room. Um, some of it's a gamble, you know, some of it's just like, all right, we'll do this and hope that, you know, we're predicting right. Yeah. Um, again, you have more clarity in June than you do in December when I'm putting the budget together because my budget has to be in by like mid-January and you know you're only halfway through the year and so it's tough to predict the next year so we did go through um, and I've been able to put together about 1.2 million in savings which kind of compensates for some of the city shortfall but I'm still you know 
for whatever. Yeah. You know, so I still have a big chunk that I need to, to figure out. Um, we're hopeful that the state will come back within the next couple of weeks. But for now, I need to figure out how to account for that shortfall in our budget. And then when, when and if we're able to get the money from the state funding, um, put it in and then readjust the budget. So it's really just an uncertain time. And, um, you know, some of, I, I mean, uh, when I talk to other superintendents, everyone's in the same boat. You know, it's just relative. So five million to me and one million or two, you know, 1.2 million say in Boroughville, it seems, oh, well, that's not a lot of money, but for them it is yeah. because it's all relative. You know, their their budget, it's, it's uh, a matter of scale of, of problems. So, and we all acknowledge the state's facing a huge deficit because of the loss of revenue. So everyone is in the same boat. Yeah. And it's just a matter of how you get through it um, and still operate, because we still have to operate. Yeah. You know, Kids are gonna be here August 31st, some either virtually or in person, and uh, we need to be ready for them and to have the staff ready for them. So. Has there been any indication from the state level of when there might be certainty? Um, I think they're starting to come back next week. Yeah, um, that's what I've heard. And they are, um, in speaking to the folks that I know have connections at the state, not connections, but you know, that are talking to leaders, yeah. um, they're working really hard to preserve aid to cities and towns, and which is the state aid to schools mm -hmm. too. But you know, if you're running a $900 million deficit, it's gonna be hard to keep everyone yeah. happy and, and uh, give them everything, uh, so. Really, it's a bit of a domino effect from the federal level. Yeah, yeah, so that's the other thing they're waiting. Um, so from what I understand, Congress is on a two week leave at the beginning of July, which, you know. Poor yeah, you know, in a normal year, I can understand that, but now yeah. um, there are some things I think that really need to be fixed quickly. Um, and waiting only makes this uncertainty even more agonizing so but I can't control that so I just have to work with it one last question on the mm. budget front I know the governor announced I think it was 42 million mm -hmm. would be available for expenses related to preparing for yep. reopening uh, on, on that front I guess have you gotten clarity about how much might be available to Cranston and then have there been COVID related costs incurred so far or has it been yep. a net gain because of the Right. Um, okay, so we have had some COVID-related costs, like we're um, buying more Chromebooks. Yeah. Because, like I said, we we handed out about fifteen hundred, so I wanted to make sure that we were able to buy more in case we start moving toward that one-to-one, -one, um, which is a COVID-related expense because we never did that before. Um, so we did purchase some. Hopefully, that would be a FEMA um, reimbursement. So. Um, we gave all our documents to the city and they can include that. But the FEMA reimbursements can take years at times and that's a 75% reimbursement. So anything we get from that would be helpful. Um, some of the other COVID related things were um, staffing for custodians, making sure the buildings are cleaned and we were able to work through that because the buildings were closed. But the buying of um, the supplies and hand sanitizer and different cleaning um, supplies, yeah. uh, you know, 
know, those are the kinds of things. Um, even, you know, when you really stop to think about it, doing a virtual graduation. Yeah. You know, normally we would be at PPAC in real time. And um, so I don't know. I don't know how broad those kinds of things are. They may say to you, well, you would do a graduation anyway because it's virtual. Like, that's not really. You know, so there's going to be some subtle nuances, I'm yeah. sure. It's just you can't just run up the tab. But um, going forward, I think things like plexiglass around offices and um, masks for students and staff, if those things are mandatory, then those will definitely become the COVID-related expenses because you know, those aren't usually on our list of school supplies. Yeah. Um, we really have to see, and that's where I, I'm a little bit frustrated because you have a lot of agencies. You have the CDC, the Department of Health, the 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 ride. You know, it's so you get information from different places, and trying to make sure you're doing right by all of them can get a little challenging. So um, I'm hoping that next week, when Ride hands us the guidance, it's all encompassing, so we know exactly from the CDC down to the state and local levels what we need to do, and then we can make a really solid plan instead of just kind of being scattered and yeah. say all right well i think we have to do this and we might have to do this and oh by the way we don't know what we're having for money it's just a recipe for chaos yeah. you know um you might have to do this and you might have to do this but we don't know how much it's gonna you know cost and we don't know what your budget is so I, i'm i'm i don't know which way to go right yeah. now with it so but we'll figure it out. It'll hopefully fall into place. And I'm not saying it will be easy by any stretch of the imagination, but fortunately, people in our district are very understanding. And I've been trying to communicate through the, the, the time that we've been shut down anything I know and can share. And it's I'm confident in the information I share with the staff and families. Um, I don't fall into rumors and conjecture because that's just not a healthy way to go but um you know i've been trying to keep people up to date as much as possible and you know you really have to um be comfortable with not having control of stuff sometimes yeah. <laughs> and that's not you know it's not a comfortable place um not knowing what's going to happen next but I, my mantra has been people have to be flexible and it's, it's becoming kind of like a little joke with the staff because every message I send, I'm like, be flexible. And they're like, all right, yeah, we know. Uh, but, you know, what else are you going to do? Yeah. I can't cry about it. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't help. Any final message for the school community over the... Uh, I think these past few months have really taught us that um, we have to be flexible, like I said and willing to try a lot of new things that if you had said to me a year ago, hey, um, we're going to shut down all the schools and everyone's going to learn virtually, I would have laughed at you and said, yeah, right, yeah, that'll take years to get people trained and kids on board. And we did it in a week. Yeah. So I'm really proud of the work we did. I'm not saying we did everything perfect, and I'm not saying it, it's the better alternative to real-life school. Absolutely not. But I think considering the circumstances that we were given on very short notice, 
we did okay, which makes me think we can do anything. Um, we worked together, people were understanding. There were moments of anxiety and fear and oh my gosh, what are we gonna do? But we got through it and um, it gives me hope that we can conquer anything. Um, I thought floods in schools were anxiety producing for me, you know. I thought I'd been through just about everything, but this tops it. So um, if this district and all our districts in the state and the you know, country and the world can kind of survive all of this, I, I think we'll be better for it. And, uh, you know, we learn lessons and you move on. So. You're welcome, Dan Kittredge. <laughs>
in terms of uh, TV, I haven't really been watching much, but uh, probably the two things that I'm looking at this week, I mentioned last week, The King of Staten Island, the Pete Davidson, Judd Apatow movie that mm. came out on demand today, so I'll try to watch it at some point this weekend. Very hyped for that. Seems You're going like to have to let me know how that is, because I'm, I'm skeptical. Not gonna lie, but I will. I get it. I've heard. I've heard the two biggest issues with it is that's a little long and the tone's pretty. It can be uneven at times, but overall, it's a pretty enjoyable movie. So I'm hmm. I'm looking forward to it. And the second one is I'm probably not gonna rush to watch it, but it's a movie called uh, You Should Have Left. It's with Kevin Bacon and Amanda Seyfried. It's a horror movie. Hmm. Uh, it's I saw the trailer. For, I was a little lukewarm on, it, and I was like, my but my my, uh, my my buddy told me about it. And I was like, I don't know, I'm, I'm really, I don't know, this sounds like something I, I do like horror, but it sounds like something I really wouldn't like. So I checked the trailer out, it's not bad, it, it looks like it's, it's, it's a decent thriller, kind of like psychological horror, with some jump scare stuff in there, so maybe I'll check that out, but King of Staten Island, definitely at the top of my list this week in terms of uh, my, my pop culture consuming. That's cool. I'll throw in a new wrinkle, because this reminds me, I watched, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a negative recommendation. Ooh, a negative yeah. recommendation. I, I uh, the the film Ad Astra. Oh uh, yeah, I've, I've heard, I heard not so great things about that. Yeah, no, it uh, big big thumbs down. Very, I I haven't uh, been that disappointed. I was very excited to see it because uh, um, I like space movies, and I'd heard it uh, was Apocalypse Now ish, and early on it really uh, kind of beat for beat is is mimicking Apocalypse Now, and then it just goes into uh, some really unfortunate. The not well conceived direction. So I'll leave it at that. I will say I've I've only seen other than the trailers. I've only seen one scene from that movie, and it's uh, I've, I did like an action scenes bracket for uh, another show, and um, uh, there was uh, the, the moon rover chase. Oh yeah, which looked pretty cool. But I mean, you could take any action point. scene and have a vacuum, and it looks cool. I guess that's really the point uh, at which the movie begins to go. Right off the rails. South. Really, yeah. You could say that's when it craters. I oh. Hey, hey, there we go. Yeah. No, but that's uh, that's an, oh, I will say another another movie that I'm sure uh, both of us are interested in is uh, the the Five Bloods, the new Spike Lee movie that's on Netflix. Oh, yeah. That yeah. dropped, I believe, yeah, today or yesterday, one of the two days. But I, I will definitely want. I, I like Spike Lee a lot, so I would like to uh, check that out too. I actually I rewatched Malcolm X last night. Oh, did you? That was good. Still was good. Oh yeah, Denzel. It's great. I mean, how can you, how can you not? Did you, did you see the uh, the the tweet that went viral of the guy that had the tattoo of Malcolm X, but it was Denzel as Malcolm X? No, I did not see that. <laughs> it's actually pretty funny, but uh, but yeah, Denzel as Malcolm X should have won an Oscar for it. Did not. It's a, it is a good one, a long one, but a good one. Indeed. With that, you can uh, thank you for listening to Radio Beacon. As always, check us out. Uh, we have the Beacon Communications is the publisher of the Cranston Herald, Warwick Beacon, Johnson Sunrise, and Coventry Reminder. Check us out at warwickonline.com, cranstononline.com, johnsonsunrise.net. Uh, find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, we're, we're still posting regular updates on uh, COVID-19. Um, the briefing schedule has uh, is uh, moved to a three-day-a-week, so... Um, it's not as uh, continuous, but uh, we are staying on top of the latest developments. Um, this podcast is hosted by Anchor Podcasts. Please subscribe today uh, on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, other numerous other podcasting platforms. 
tip of the hat, as always, to my friend John Schmettinghoff for the music at the top of the episode. Um, am I forgetting anything with the spiel? I don't think so. I think you got all in the head again, as I say every week. Thank you so much for spearheading the COVID-19 coverage for all the papers, Dan. Oh, hey, it's been, uh, it's been a whirlwind. But, uh, Indeed. Hopefully it's been useful to, to folks and uh, they've, uh, that we've been able to help them, uh, people stay informed and get, uh, get the latest words. So. Indeed. Thank you, Jake, for everything. And uh, to all our listeners, stay safe. Have a happy and healthy weekend, and we will talk to you again next week.